Good morning. Thanks for uh, being here this morning. I was joking with uh, Brother Vernon before the services about 10 minutes till a lot of folks hadn't showed up and I said I guess we're going to have to quit announcing who's preaching because apparently they didn't want to come and hear me. And, uh, and then a lot of visitors showed up and he said I guess they took the sign down out at the highway. And I said, well, they're visitors. They don't know what they're getting into. So appreciate your presence this morning. We have been talking uh, for the last week or so about a series that we've called Godly Success. <clears throat> and as we met with our teaching team, we talked about this subject. We said, hey, what does it mean to be successful? And Brother Bruce talked to us about that, it, what it means from a secular version, uh, vision, but more importantly what it means from a godly perspective and then we talked about being that success from a godly perspective requires a healthy fear of God and brother Sean talked to us about that we're going to talk this morning about um, the role that the scriptures play in being successful from a godly perspective and we're going to go to the scriptures and we're going to look at a verse that many of you have memorized but we're going to spend some time there in second timothy so if you want to get your bibles out or your phones out and look at second timothy chapter three most of you probably have it memorized but we're going to stop down and spend some time there and look at what the bible tells us about the scriptures that it contains in second timothy <clears throat> Chapter 3 and verse number 15, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So Paul, writing to the young evangelist Timothy, talks about his raising, talks about his grandmother, but he, then he talks about the fact that as a child, he had known the Holy Scriptures, and they were able to do what? To make him wise unto salvation. So when we think about godly success, we think about Christians, what the yonder star is, what it is to be successful it means what's it going to take for us to get to heaven? What's it going to take for us to be saved? And the scriptures say here that they themselves are able to make us wise unto salvation. It also tells us that they are given by inspiration. And that means that they are literally God-breathed. They are God's words to us written down in the books, in the books that we call the Bible that are the scriptures. They are inspired. They are his words. They are him physically talking to us through the paper, through the book, through the Bible. In fact, in Second Peter, it says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time, but the will of man, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That term private interpretation means that it didn't come, it's not, it wasn't the, the guy that wrote its interpretation. It wasn't his interpretation. It was given to him by the Holy Spirit. He wrote down what God told him to write down, or he spoke what God told him 
to speak. So when we think about the Word of God, that literally, the Bible literally is the words of God. They are God-breathed, they are God-inspired, they are written to us. And then that verse goes on to tell us why. Not only does it make us wise to salvation, but it tells us how it's going to make us wise unto salvation. It says it's profitable for doctrine. Well, what is doctrine? Well, doctrine or is what you believe. It's the rules. It's the regulations. It's, it's everything that's in here. It's God's truths that are revealed to us through the book. The Bible tells us God's truths. In fact, it tells us that it's the only reliable source for truths. The word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It tells us that to be, <clears throat> to be sanctified by truth, that this word is truth. God's word is truth. I remember Brother Ty talking to me one time about getting in a philosophical argument in one of his philosophy classes about what truth was. Well, this is truth, and that was his, that was his argument in the class, obviously. Thy word is truth. The problem with our brains is that we put truths or facts in a little file cabinet, and I've told you this before, but we put it in a little file cabinet, in a little file folder, and we file it away in our brain, and then we go through life and we develop opinions and we put them in a little file cabinet, in a little file folder, and we put them in our brain in the same exact place. And then when you and I get to discussing something, arguing something, we bring them both out with equal weight. Our fact, the facts and our opinions come out as equal weight. And only if we are very careful and we get our conscious brain thinking about what we're saying, do we ever recognize the difference when we're talking? This is the truth. There's no opinions in here. There's no private interpretations. There's no private opinions. This is God's breed word of truth for us. That's what the doctrine is. It tells us the story of God. It tells us the story of Jesus. It tells us the story of his redemption, of our redemption. It tells us everything we need to know about God and his son, his being, his person, his presence, his existence from ever. It's hard to describe how long God's existed because we, we measure everything in time and he doesn't. We can't understand infinity. We can do some math with this funny little eight laid sideways and think we understand infinity, but we can't. God has existed forever. Not only does it tell us about God, but it also tells us about man, who we are, why we're on the earth. Why did sin and death enter the world? Everything we want to know about us is in there. Everything we need to know, maybe not everything we want to know, everything we need to know is in there. But not only does it tell us about us and how we came into existence and what's going to happen beyond the grave and what it all looks like, it tells us that from the perspective of the very person and God that created us, the person that brought us into existence. What better source for that information? But not only does it do that, but it tells us 
how to relate to other people on the earth, to our spouses or to our mates, to, to others, to our children, to our bosses, everything, every person that we might need to relate to. It gives us guidance in how to do that. It tells us how to manage our finances. It tells us how to manage our business. It tells us how to make wise decisions. It tells us what we should think. It tells us how to overcome temptations. It tells us how to use our body. It tells us how to use our mind, what to do with our mouth and our eyes, how to control our emotions. It tells us everything we need to know about God and about us. That's all rolled up in the doctrine that this book teaches us. I'll tell you a little story. I'll try to illustrate this way. So in World War II, there, were, um, there was a little battle going on between the navies of Germany and England. And in 1940, Germany rolled out a ship they called the Bismarck. That's a picture of it there. The Bismarck was leading class. In fact, it was the fastest battleship. It was the most powerful battleship. It was rolled out in March of 1940, and it was the pride and terror of the German Navy. <clears throat> it could outrun, it could outgun any of the English Navy. But one day in May, something happened. It was in a battle. And the way the Bismarck was typically used is it outran you, it outflanked you, and then it outfired. So it would be out of your range, but it would fire back at you and sink you. But it so happened that it got nicked by a torpedo. A torpedo hit its rudder. And because of that, it became uncontrollable. They no longer had the ability to direct it as they needed to direct it, and it actually swung and turned right into the middle of the British Navy and became easy prey for all of the ships. And on May, of, May 27th of 1941, it was sank and a hundred of its sailors went to its death. Now we would probably say, good, we didn't, we didn't like the Germans anyway, we hope they lose. That wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was this little rudder that gave it guidance ultimately destroyed it. You see, the doctrine is just that for us. It's the rudder that gives us guidance on how to live our life. And if we're not careful, if we don't read it, if we don't understand it, man, we could circle right into the middle of the devil's navy. And we can be shot down no matter how big and how powerful and how strong and how smart and how well-educated and how rich or how whatever we think we are. If we don't use the doctrine, if we don't use that rudder, and if we don't understand what that rudder, which direction that rudder wants to take us, then we can circle around and no matter how big and powerful we are, maybe have fun with the devil's navy for a little while, but ultimately he's going to burn us up. So hopefully we understand or we can think about that doctrine in maybe a little bit different way, but we need to understand the will of God for us, the will of God in our lives, the will and understand God a little bit better. The second thing that it tells us it can provide us on this, on this uh, journey to salvation is it says that it can reproof us. Well, what does that word mean? Or what, what, what does reproof, how does reproof play out in our life? 
Well, report for proof basically, basically means it uh, is confronting your sin. Okay, so now that I understand the doctrine, now that I understand what I'm supposed to do, what does that say about me? What do I need to change? What sins do I have that need to change? <clears throat> so I've got on the I've got I've got back there that the devil is going to be refuted. This this he will be proven wrong. The doctrine proves him wrong. So where do we stand? Do we stand with the world? Do we stand with the devil? Do we stand with the Lord? Do we stand on the fence? Think of reproving as going through a trial. I talked to Brother Kyle this morning before church, and I said, hey, I'm going to put us on trial today, so don't make fun of me. Brother Kyle's a lawyer, for those of you that don't know, so he's a counselor. So I want to put, I'll just put me on trial in front of you. You can join me if you'd want. We're going to put my faith on trial. We're going to let the Bible reprove my faith. All right, so when you think about laws, there's all kinds of laws. There's criminal laws and, and laws of various different jurisdictions and of various different types. There's civil law and criminal law. Brother Kyle probably should have given this part. He could have given you a much better definition of all the different kinds of laws. So when you think about a trial, there's a prosecutor. There's somebody that is trying to say this person did something wrong, and there's a defender that's trying to say, no, that person didn't do something wrong. And they'll call witnesses, and they'll present evidence, and ultimately a judge or a jury will decide the guilt or the innocence. So we're going we're gonna to do that this morning. The Bible is going to play its role. It's going to be our, our prosecutor. We'll ask God if he'll kindly be the judge. And here are the opening remarks. They kind of, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the world's, worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. So the Bible's opening statement is to define what faith looks like and what faith is. And then the, Bible, then the judge says, we'll call your first witness. And the Bible calls Abel to the stand. And Abel testifies about his more excellent sacrifice. And then he calls Enoch to the stand. And Enoch talks about how his faith pleased God. He calls Noah to the stand. And he talks about a faith that would let him labor for a hundred years to build an ark, even though it had never rained. And he calls Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to the stand, and they talk about how they sojourned in a foreign land, even uh, with, with faith that that promise was going to happen for them and their descendants, even though they themselves weren't going to get to be there. Sarah is called to the stand and she talks about how she had faith and she conceived and delivered a child after she was past her years. Abraham's recalled to the stand and talks about how he took that child to the top of a mountain and was about to offer it as a sacrifice because of his faith, the faith that he had. Isaac's called to the stand and Jacob and Joseph and Moses continues on and on and on as they talk about their faith 
and how it drove them to do amazing things. And finally, Rahab is called to the stand, and she talks about how she welcomed the Israelites as friends. And then the Bible says, if it pleases the court, we don't have time. There's so many more that we could call. And if we called them, they would tell you that they did things like conquered countries and stopped burning swords and were put to death, put in prison, one powerful, were powerful in many, many battles. And then the Bible rests its case. Most of you will recognize that as Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. See, that's what the Bible does. It reproves you. It says, you want to have good faith? Let me give you some examples. And of course, the verdict comes in. Your faith doesn't measure up. That's what the Bible does. It gives us the perfect law of liberty. We measure ourselves against it. And then we go, okay, now what? Well, we go back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy says, hey, the Bible's also good for correction. So now that I've been found guilty, now that I've figured out, hey, something's wrong, I need to change something, what do I need to do? Well, it's good for that. It's good for correction. It tells us what to do if we've sinned against God or we've sinned against a brother or we've sinned against a brother in Christ. It tells us what to do. It tells us how to be baptized, to be forgiven of our sins and to wash away those sins in the eyes of God. It tells us how to relate to our brothers and sisters or to someone else if we've sinned against them. It tells us how to confess. It tells us how to forgive. Let's go back to our case. What's our sentence? We'll look at the very next chapter. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse number 1 through 2, it says, We have all these great people around us as examples. The old King James, or the King James, not the old King James. King James says, Seeing as we are uh, clouded about by so great a witnesses. So we've got all these witnesses around us, which is what gave me the idea of putting us on trial, actually. There's all these witnesses around us. Well, then, for their lives tell us what faith means. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We should remove from our lives anything that would slow us down in that sin that so often makes us fall. We must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith and he is the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he is sitting on the right hand side or the right side of God's throne. So having been convicted or reproofed by God's word, the correction is keep your eye on Jesus. Keep running the race. Finish the race. You know, we wouldn't have Noah if 50 years into building an ark, he would have just got tired and quit. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> It's about finishing the race. It's about strength, continuing to build your faith and keeping your eye on the prize, keeping your eye on Jesus. 
the last part of that verse says, for instruction in righteousness. Well, that's basically telling us how do we stay out of trouble. Now that we've figured out what the doctrine is, now that we have understood that, now that we've applied that to our lives and found that we're wanting in certain areas, and now that we've looked into the Word and figured out how to be corrected and we're on this good plane, and you're driving a boat, you talk about getting it on plane, we're cruising across the lake, we're doing good, but how do we stay on plane? How do we stay going in the right direction? How do we, go, how do we stay going down the straight way? Well, the Bible tells us a couple of things that I picked out. Number one, it says study to show thyself approved. Would you, would you not be surprised if the scriptures talk to you about here's how important that I am and then wouldn't tell you to study me to figure out what a, how important I am? Well, it tells you that. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It also tells you to meditate. We read that this morning. This is the middle verse in the three verses that Brother Matthew read for us this morning. But his delight is in the law, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, there's some there's some huge, huge benefits to knowing the word well enough that in your spare time when you don't have the Bible in front of you, you can recall it and meditate on it. You can think about it. You can say, man, I just ran into this incident. What does the Bible have to say about that? And most of us carry a Bible on our phones so we can look it up nowadays, but the ability to meditate, to just in a quiet calmness think about it. That's one of the benefits of getting up early in the morning and driving to work when the sun's coming up. You see the beautiful sunrise you just naturally start thinking about the Lord. You start thinking about the picture that he's painting for you this morning and you start thinking about the day ahead and you start meditating on what it is that his word tells you to do and how to act. Or coming home late at night, you get to see I get both of those pictures. Not only does it tell us to meditate, but it tells us to worship. Psalms says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Worship the Lord. That's what we need to do to continue to be on the right path in prayer. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making application for all the saints. Those are just a few. There, is, there are hundreds, thousands of things the Bible tells us to do to stay on the right path. Those are the four I chose to put before you this morning. So, godly success demands that we have a respectful fear for the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6 and 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 uh, Revelations chapter 4, a couple of pictures into the throne room of God. Um, there's some fear going on there. There's some reverence going on there. The, the six-winged the six angels flying around with two wings over their eyes because they can't stand to look at the glory of God and two wings over their feet 
because that's a sign of humility. You cover your feet when you come before the Lord, and then they're flying around with the other two. Just some crazy pictures about the reverence and the fear, the respectful fear for the Lord that we should have. We've also got to understand all of that. That's in here. Those beautiful pictures are in here. The Word of God is in here. It's, it is God-breathed. It is His desire for us. I'll try to illustrate it. Uh, I got uh, one more illustration and then um, probably one more verse. The verse is kind of a warning verse that we need to adhere to. It's a little Johnny story. I told John I was going to tell a little Johnny story, but it's not about John. This John, anyway. Little Johnny loved strawberry jam. It's one of his favorite things. And Mom had just made a fresh batch of strawberry jam. She didn't have time to put it up completely. She just took it off the stove and set it on the counter. And she told little Johnny, I've got to go run some errands in another part of the house, but don't get in the strawberry jelly. Little Johnny, don't get in it. And she leaves and she goes about her errands in the other parts of the house. And little Johnny's good for a while. But eventually he gets to thinking about that strawberry jelly, that strawberry jam that's in that pot over there. And he starts devising a plan on how he can get there, how he can get to it. So he goes into the dining room and he pulls a little chair and he gets a chair in there and he gets it up to the counter and he climbs up in the chair and he reaches up over the top of the the uh, the uh, tub of the whatever the pot the pot of jam and reaches in there and gets him a couple of bites of that strawberry jam and then about the time he gets those two bites he really he hears in his back of his and hears his mom approaching she's coming and so he scurries down he gets a chair and he puts a chair back in the dining room he's standing there like he's minding his own business like nothing's happened and um, mom comes in she says hey Johnny. He walks over and he's looking at his mom and, and she says, Johnny, did you uh, eat some of the strawberry jam? And his countenance kind of falls and he kind of looks down at her, at her belt and says, no, mom, I didn't eat any of the strawberry jam. And she says, Johnny, did you eat any of the strawberry jam? And his head tilts down a little bit further looking at her feet. No, no, ma'am, I didn't eat any of the strawberry jam. And she says, little Johnny, she asks him another time. And head falls down. He's looking at the floor. No, ma'am. Finally, she asks him a fourth time, and his head falls, and he sees a strawberry jam on his shirt. <laughs> he goes, yes, ma'am, I, I ate the strawberry jam. You see, that's the way reading the Bible can be for us, and that's why it's so important. The first time we read through it, we might go, man, that, that's great for those fellows at work. I really wish those guys would read the Bible. They need that worse than anything. The second time we read through it, we might go, boy, those folks at church, they could really get a healthy dose of that verse right there. They need to get, that, that needs to reprove them. The third time through, we might go, boy, my family, my wife and kids would read that. Family life would be so much better. And the fourth time we read through it, we see the blood of Christ on our hands. And we realize how the Bible helps us and reproves us and makes us better. You see, the Bible is important. It's not a book to be put on the shelf. It's not a book to get dust. 
and you can't get there without understanding what's in here. The Bible says, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time of judgment. We're going to pass from this earth. Today, we don't know if that's going to be, we might die today, we might die tomorrow, we might die 30 seconds from now. The Lord may come and take us all on any one of those time frames, or it could be a thousands of years, millions of years before the Lord comes back. We don't know, but he will come back. Because we are sojourners in a foreign land, no different than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were. But they had faith that even though they were in a foreign land, that someday he was going to come back. They had faith enough to say, take my bones with you, children of Israel. I know you're in Egypt now, but don't bury me here. I know someday you're going to cross over and you're going to be in the land of milk and honey. You're going to be in the land of Canaan. Take my bones with you. Bury me in the promised land when you get there. It took them a while, but they got there. We don't know how long it's going to be before we get there. But we are faith. We have faith that someday he will return and that we'll have an opportunity to go and to be with him. So this morning, hopefully, hopefully, you look at the Bible maybe a little differently. Maybe you decide, I need to figure out how to get into a reading plan. Maybe you figure out, I need to memorize some verses and figure out how to meditate on God's word. If you need help with that, accountability partners are great. We talk about that a lot here. Not only decide to read it, but find somebody that wants to read it with you and hold each other accountable to reading it. If we can help you this morning, if you have a desire or a need for the church, we stand ready, not as your judge, but as your humble servants to help you if you would... Uh, have a need for the church, come and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing.